All right, good morning, familia, once again. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal. We are so glad that you are here, and I want to welcome all to our fourth week of Advent. And as a church, for years now, it has been our tradition that during the time, during the Advent season, we talk about four themes. We talk about hope, love, joy, and today we're talking about the last one of those themes, which is the concept of peace. Now, let me ask a question. How many of you guys um, struggle with peace every now and then? Okay, let me ask, change the question. How many of you guys never struggle with peace? You're lying. Everyone struggles with peace at one point or another, and that's why we've got to continue to talk about this every time we celebrate Christmas. So for that, we're going to be looking into Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word. If you're still here, can you say, I'm here? If you're here, can you say, I'm here? Much better. Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. You may take a seat. Today I'm asking the text uh, similar questions that I asked last week. We're going to talk about what, what is peace, how much we need it, and how do we get it. What is peace, how much we need it, and how do we get it? Let's go with point number one, what is peace? The reason why I start with this question is because I need to define for you or to remind you what is the main difference between the peace that Jesus brings and the peace that everybody else talks about. See, I don't think that the concept of peace is unique to Christianity, I would argue that almost every religion in the world talks about peace. Every philosophy in the world has some sort of message that is connected to peace. Peace, uh, usually, in, a, in talking about from, a, you could say, a secular perspective, is usually described as something that, that is similar to this. It's the absence of hostility or violence. It's the absence of problems or suffering. And in addition is the presence of freedom and harmony. The absence of hostility and violence, the absence of problems and suffering, and also the presence of freedom and, and harmony. That's more or less how people would define, um, you could say, worldly peace. And I think that as Christians, we can agree with that definition, at least to a certain degree. I think that as Christians, we can agree that there are some things about peace, our peace, that is similar to that. But if that is true, then I have to ask the question, 
Why is it then that Jesus came? If that is what people propose, and if that's what peace is, why is it that we needed Jesus? Why Jesus come? Why is it that he came? Why is it that Luke chapter 2 says that he came to bring peace on earth? See, there's got to be a difference between the biblical definition of peace and what the world describes as peace. And once again, I think that as Christians, we can say that peace could be the absence of hostility and the absence of violence. It could be the absence of problems or suffering. And it also could be the presence of freedom and harmony. We could say that. But what I want to show you today, in the next two hours, is that the... What? It's Christmas. Extra gift for me. <laughs> what I want you to see is that the peace the Bible talks about, the peace that Jesus comes to bring, could be that. But it's much more than that. That the peace the Bible talks about could be these things. The absence of some things and the presence of other things. But it's much, 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 much more than that. So what I would say is this. Peace is not unique to Christianity. But the peace that Christianity gives is unique. You could tweet that. That peace is not unique to Christianity, but Christianity talks about this unique peace. And what I want to do now is give you three reasons why we say that Christianity provides a different kind of peace. Now, I want to prep you for it, um, because today, I, as always, I have three points, but every point has three sub-points, meaning that the sermon today has nine points. That's why I'm saying that we're going to be here for two hours, people. Here we go. Reason number one, why is it that the Christ, Christianity provides a different, a unique kind of peace? And it has to do, number one, because of its definition. Because of what the word peace means in the Bible. See, in the New Testament, you find the word peace, for example, we found it in verse 7 and in verse 9. And in the Greek is the word irene, which is the same word that is found in the Old Testament to describe, uh, and, he's used the word, and he uses the word shalom. It's the same word, one in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament, one Greek, one Hebrew. But what makes Christianity unique, though, is that the, every time you find that word in the Bible, it describes one of these two things that are inseparable. Listen up, church. That peace is always something personal first and also makes a person or drives a person to seek to want to bring peace to his or her surrounding. That the peace the Bible talks about, this shalom the Bible talks about, this irene the Bible talks about, is something that is both personal and social. That is something that we experience at a personal level, and then we want to share it with others. See, when the Bible talks about peace in the Bible, you could, when the Bible talks about peace all over the, all the Old Testament and New Testament, you could see different terms to describe what that peace is and what the peace does. For example... Peace in the Bible could be translated as completeness, as wholeness, as well-being, as restoration, as reconciliation, as to repair or to fix, as to bring together. What I want you to see here is when the Bible talks about peace, it's a very holistic approach to life. It's not just personal and it's not just social. The peace the Bible talks about is something that the Lord gives that affects you personally and you become, you have a personal peace, but that you automatically become a person of peace. 
See, no other religion in the world and no other philosophy in the world tells you that that peace looks like. It's either personal or social, or it's social and not personal. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. The peace that Jesus comes to bring is complete. It gives you this sense of completeness, wholeness, well-being, restoration, reconciliation, to repair, to fix, and to bring together at a personal level. And at the same time, it invites you to extend it to other people. This is part of the reason why Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, says this. This is from God, who reconciled us, the idea of peace, to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Can you see it? Peace on this end leads you to peace on this end. Now, can you see why is it that this definition of shalom is very different to everything else? It tells you that the peace that Jesus came to bring transformed you personally first. And that once you have been transformed, all you want to do is to extend it to others. That is personal and social. See, in Christianity, there is no dichotomy between having peace with God and wanting to have others to have peace as well. Reason number one. Reason number two. Just as we joy from what we talked about last week, peace is also not circumstantial. Meaning that the peace that God gives is not bound to circumstances. Listen up, church, that it is possible for you to go through very difficult things. For you to lose it all. For you to struggle in everything you have in life. And yet feel at peace. Or at least to have this sense of peace. Where do I get that from? Verse 7. Look at what it says. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to see here that the way Paul describes this peace, it doesn't have to do anything with circumstances nor emotions. That the peace that Paul describes here doesn't have anything to do with your circumstances, what you're going through, or your emotions. And I'm, listen, you could tell, I'm for emotions, man. But here it says that that peace the Bible talks about is not bound to circumstances nor emotions. That it is possible to be in a very painful place and have this peace that trans- transcends all understanding. Which is crazy. That phrase, it, uh, different scholars translate it in different ways. Some people would say, well, this is the kind of peace that doesn't make any sense from a human perspective. I could say that's probably the translation. The translation. But the word transcends can be also translated as surpasses. Or describe something that is much better. It describes this peace that compared to everything else we have in the world, that compared to everything else we could gain in the world or lose in the world, this peace is trans- transcends all understanding, much better than any other peace. See, in the secular world, this is, this is how you gain peace. By gaining something or by losing something. Example, you think that you're going to have peace when you find your loved one? You find your loved one and the peace is still not there. 
Or you think that you're going to gain peace by losing your loved one. And you lose your loved one and you still haven't found peace. And Paul says, that's not what I'm talking about here. The peace of God transcends all understanding much better than any other peace. And not only is much better, has more value than anything else, but it also guard your, guards your heart and your mind. You know, Paul here is using the word guard. He's using an image borrowed from the Roman Empire in which our guard had two responsibilities. He had the responsibility to protect and he had the responsibility to be a companion. And what Paul says using that image is that the peace of God always protects you, protects your mind and protects your heart, even if you struggle. And that it's always with you. Whether you feel it, or not. That the peace of God, that the peace that God gives, is always there, protecting your mind and protecting your heart, whether you feel it or not. It's objective, you know? It's not just subjective. Now, if you want to see what that looks like, I'm going to invite you to use your imagination for a second, okay? And I think that the best example of what this looks like is Paul himself writing this letter from prison, writing knowing that he's going to die. So use your imagination for a second. Here we have a man that is about 62 to 65 years old. Then he's a man that is not as physically as strong as he would like to be. Meaning that he's a man that is not in his Years of strength, but also in his years, but in his years, but, but instead in his years of weakness. Now picture this man, a 65-year-old man, in this cold, stoned prison. You know, this is not like the modern-day prisons. This is like a, like a cave kind of thing. So picture this man that is chained to the wall 24-7. So picture this man that has limited mobility. Picture this man that is always a guard looking at him 24-7. Now think about this man that has limited resources. Because there's no government sending money in. Or sending food in. Think about this man that knows that he's got a death sentence. Think about this man that feels loneliness because visitation is limited. Think about this weak man. And then imagine the guard that is paying attention to him 24-7, looking at him, write something. And he says, what are you writing? And he goes, I'm writing a letter to my friends. And then he asks, what is it that you're writing about? And he says this, while he's in prison, while he knows that he's going to die, as he's experiencing loneliness, as he is limited in so many different things, as he's experiencing all this pain and struggle, and he says this, that the peace of God transcends all understanding, and he guards my heart, and he guards my mind, even in this hall. Can you see why we need that? Can you see why is it that we cannot survive without this? Because shalom is something we need in here 
and it's what we give to others, but shalom is also this thing that is not bound to anything or anybody. Why is that? Point number three, reason number three in this point. Because that peace is divine. Look at what it says in verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. Notice that it says that this peace is not something that God just gives. This peace is something that he is. So wherever God is, there is peace. And the Bible says that God is with his people very present in times of trouble. Not bound to your circumstances, not bound to your emotions. The Bible says that believers can experience this sense of peace, this sense of completeness, wholeness, well-being, because the peace of God is not just something he gives, it's something he is. It is personal, it's divine, it's holistic, it's not circumstantial. Now, if I were to ask you if you need that peace today, I think that we would all say, yes, I need it. But I think that where we struggle a little bit is to understand how much you need it and how much I need it. Now, the reason why I could say that is because Paul is going to say that we are constantly struggling with three things, which leads me to point number two. How much do we need this peace? From verses 4 to 6, we find these three commands or imperatives. Look at what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Notice that it doesn't say rejoice every now and then. Rejoice when you feel good. Rejoice when? Always. Can you say always? always. Man, that was depressing. Always. always. And then verse 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all. It doesn't say let your gentleness whenever you feel like it or with the people you like, but with the people that you don't like, you don't have to be gentle. That's not what he says. Let your gentleness be evident to all. You know what the word all means in the original? All. <laughs> the people you like and the people you don't like. The people that look like you and the people that don't look like you. And then he says, don't, do not be anxious about anything. I mean, those, those are crazy statements. Anything, all, always. Now, there's something that you need to understand about Paul whenever he, you read his uh, letters. Whenever you find Paul writing some imperatives, which is what he's doing here, things that we're supposed to do, whenever you find Paul writing imperatives is because he knows that part of the reason why he needs to write them is because we struggle with them. See, he doesn't write imperatives just because he thinks it's a good idea. He writes imperatives because he knows that we struggle with these things. You know, what Paul is doing here is very similar to what we see in modern-day culture when you find a sign that tells you to do something or not do something. So, for example, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, you see a, a plug or a, an outlet or something, and there's always like a little sign, especially in public places where it says, do not put your finger in there. Because if you put your finger in there, you will be electrocuted. Now, you would think, well... That's a good warning. No, no, no. It, it is a warning, but it's more than that. Part of the reason why that sign is there is, is because somebody already put the finger in there. 
You know, we're learning by experience. You get electrocuted, let's put this sign because the rest of human beings that are super bright would do it again. It's the same reason why sometimes when you go to a restaurant or you go to the mall or you go something, you go into the bathroom and it says, do not dump stuff into the toilet, like a pamper into the toilet. Why is that there? Because there was a brilliant parent that grabbed the pamper and put it into the toilet, and now there's a bunch of stuff, smelly stuff, all over the bathroom floor. Paul does exactly the same thing here. He has seen it already. He knows that people struggle. He knows that people struggle with three things when peace is not real. Listen up. Joy, gentleness, and fear. When there is no peace, and when peace is not getting, um, you're not getting, it's not, it's not grabbing your heart, we all struggle with joy, gentleness, and fear, anxiety. Let me break it down for you. I'm not going to, let's talk about joy for a second, and I'm not going to spend much time because that's, that was the preaching last week. But what I want you to see here today is that Paul makes a connection between peace and joy. Did you notice that? In other words, if you want to be a person of joy, you need peace. And if you're a person of peace, you will be joyful. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I don't, I don't remember if I said it here or in the other service last week, but Martin Lloyd-Jones would say that the number one evidence of your Christianity should be joy. What Paul is saying here is that if peace is not ruling your heart, you cannot experience joy. And if you cannot experience joy, then bitterness, anger, sadness, and discouragement will be what rules your heart. That if you, are, you don't have personal peace, the way this is going to play out in front of others is by you being bitter, anger, sad, or discouraged. Listen, church, and I'm going to get super personal, okay? Super, super personal. I think that this is part of the reason why, as Christians, we, have, um, we are not as effective in, as, in our evangelistic endeavors. Let me put it this way. In the last five years, at least, in the last three to four years, I have seen more angry Christians than loving Christians. Don't you think that that's part of the reason why people look at Christians and say, I don't want that? I'm going to give you an example, and I'm not going to give you the name of the person because he's famous and writes a lot of books, and you already purchased those books. Three years ago, this well-known writer, Christian, podcaster, and everything else, somehow mixed his politics with his theology and became a very vocal, angry Christian in the public sphere. So he goes to this rally for his political party, and in this rally, there's a person that is from the opposite political party. And he is so upset that he punches the guy in the face. And that's all over social media. And now I'm thinking, shoot, man, I lost all that money in those books. <laughs> and the world takes that and magnifies it. 
And that's what happened. When you think you have peace and you don't. Because your joy shows that you don't have it. And Paul says, part of the reason why you need this peace is because you need joy. Because if you don't have that joy, then you become a bitter, angry, sad, discouraged person. Second reason why he says that we need this is because we ought to be people of gentleness. Which, interesting enough, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. That's, that's not option. It, it doesn't have anything to do with personality. You know, we say, well, some people have the, you, the gentle personality. I don't care. It's a fruit of the Spirit. What is interesting, though, is that the word gentle can be translated in two different ways. It could be translated as gentle or kind, or it could be translated as forbearance and patience. Listen up, church. If peace is something we have, then we ought to be gentle people. Harshness is not gentleness. And if peace is about us and extending it to others, this explains why he said that we have such a hard time being gentle to non-believers. Actually, the opposite of gentleness will be harshness, impatience, and lack of self-control. No peace, no joy, no gentleness. And living in this world is so hard because of different reasons, because of the sin within and the sin without, that unless we have this gentleness as one of these things, we won't endure. Can't you see why is it that we need this peace? We need it because we struggle with uh, joy. We need it because we struggle with gentleness. And lastly, we need it because we struggle with fear, anxiety. Let me read to you something that I read a couple of months ago, a quote from Mike, Michael Horton. He says that our community, our world today, uh, he calls it uh, that we're living in the pandemic of fear. And I think that he's right. Look at what he says. Americans right now fear government corruption the most. About 74% of our population fears that. Closely followed by threats to the environment, loss of income, the, uh, a loved one being seriously ill or dying, or medical bills. Now, he says something super personal for us. How many of you guys are boomers? Raise your hand. All right, this is what he says about you. Not me, he says it. We are told that boomers are afraid of getting old. That's what he says. How many of you guys are millennials? Raise your hand. Mm. Some of you guys don't know that you're millennials. That's the problem. <laughs> so we are told that boomers are afraid of getting old. Millennials are concerned that they are not special. That's what he says, not me. How many of you guys are Generation Z? You know what's interesting? There's people here that don't belong to any generation. <laughs> oh, Generation X. How many of you guys are X? You know why that's not there? Because we're super perfect. <laughs> I don't know. This is what he says. Boomers are afraid of getting old. Millennials are concerned that they're not special. And members of the Generation C are worried about everything. He said. I think that that's true. I think that part of the reason why he didn't put Generation X there is because we are like Generation Z. We are afraid of everything. 
Don't you think that today, that's precisely the reason why we need peace? See, without peace, bitterness, anger, sadness, uh, discouragement rules our hearts, not joy. See, without peace, harshness, impatience, lack of self-control rule our hearts, not, joy, not, not gentleness. Without peace, suffering, uh, the suffering and the struggles of life can produce discouragement, not endurance. And without peace, the fear rules our heart and not peace. Now, I want you to see really quick that all of these things are not behavior things. Are heart issues. So if it's heart issues, why is it that Paul commands something? Rejoice! And you're like, oh, okay, I'll rejoice. Is that how that works? So if you, if you lack of gentleness, he says, practice gentleness. Oh, okay. Can you get rid of your fear like that? Do not be anxious. Oh, okay, I won't be anxious. Is that what it says? It can be that. See, you have to understand that whenever Paul talks about these things, he's addressing heart issues. Therefore, the solution cannot be a technique. It cannot be something that you just do and modify your behavior. It has to be something more profound, something that goes so deep that it transforms your heart. What is it then that Paul is going to propose? Point number three, how do we get it? Paul is going to give you three spiritual practices that we have all heard about, and yet we struggle, and that's why we struggle with peace. Three peace, because we're talking about peace. Prayer, pondering, practice. In order for you to live a life full of peace, you need prayer, pondering, and practice. Look at the first one, prayer, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice the phrase, in Christ Jesus. We are not working for something that we don't have. We're not trying to purchase something that we don't have. We are appropriating, grabbing, embracing what Jesus already won for us at the cross. And he says that one of the ways we do it is by praying. The one thing that we forget when we struggle with joy, when we struggle with gentleness, and when we struggle with fear, the one thing we forget is that God is God. We forget that he really cares for everything and anything I go through, and that's why I pray to him. We forget that he really cares about my needs, and that's why I bring petitions before him. And I forget that everything that he does or doesn't do or allows or brings at the end of the day, is what is going to give him glory and what is best for you. And that's why I pray with thanksgiving. Listen, don't, don't miss this, please. Paul doesn't say that we should give prayers of thanksgiving. He doesn't say that. We should have those, but that's not what he says here. 
He says, pray and bring your petitions with thanksgiving. What does that mean? That I bring everything that I need and everything that I want and everything that I perceive is a need. I bring it before him. But I bring it with thanksgiving because I'm trusting that whether he gives me what I want or he doesn't give me what I want, whether he answers the way I want to or he doesn't answer the way I want to, whether he tells me something or not something, I know deep down inside in my heart that regardless of what he brings or he doesn't bring, I'm still okay. And that's why I could be thankful because everything that he brings and allows will be at the end for his glory and my good, whether I feel it or not. That's the difference. So a person that has that, don't you think that can experience peace? Whenever my family struggles, man, I pray like crazy. But I have to remember to pray with thanksgiving. Because when I forget to pray with thanksgiving, I forget that what the Lord brings or allows always will be for his glory and my good. His glory and their good. Whether I, whether I understand it or not. Pray. Second, ponder. Verse 8. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Notice that it doesn't say, empty your minds, distract yourself, pretend that you're not struggling, use something to help you forget. He says, in the midst of everything we go through, think, ponder, ponder about who God is, how he is, what he does, what he promises, think. Because at the end of the day, Christianity is not a religion of feelings and emotions. Because at the end of the day, Christianity is not about just perceptions or my opinions. Christianity is about us being thinkers. And allowing the Bible to inform everything that I have here and change everything that I have here. Listen up. Because the more you ponder and you think about this, the more you realize that you're just a little tiny human being and God is God. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Joni Erickson Tata, which is a lady that has been paralyzed for more than 50 years from the neck down. Anything she writes, I recommend, by the way. She's known for using this phrase that someone gave it to her. She's known for using the phrase, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. It's a beautiful sentence. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. So obviously for a very long time she was struggling with her paralysis, asking God why is it that he allowed this or brought this upon her life. And she calls these 10 words the most important words in her life in order for her to understand her suffering. And for a period of months, her pastor would actually gave her this sentence, walk with her, 
helped her think, ponder, reason, and understand every single one of those words. She had to ponder about who God was and is. He had, she had to ponder why is it that God permits. She had to ponder what is it that God hates. He had, she had to ponder what is it that God likes to accomplish. And he, she had to ponder why is it that God loves. And at the end of those months, she says, it's okay if I'm paralyzed from my neck down. Because he permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Pray. Ponder. And lastly, practice. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is interesting to me and I have to ponder a little bit about this one here. Because why would obedience, practicing, will be a requirement for peace? And the only possible explanation that I have for this one is that obedience to God, living in light of what he knows we need, living in light of the things that he knows that we truly desire, even though we don't think we do, is to live according to our original design. Listen up, church. God's commands are always blessings. God's commands is what you need because it's the best thing for you. God's commands and God's law is what, what we need to practice because we were designed for it. That's why sinning makes you dumb. Because it's contrary to divine design. You know how you find peace? Learning to live in light of what God wants from you. There is no peace without prayer. There is no peace without pondering. And there is no peace without practice and obedience. That is the only way you find peace in the midst uh, to be able to rejoice. Is that's the only way you find peace to be able to be gentle. That is the only way that you learn to experience peace even when you experience uh, fear. So one last question. How do we know that that is true? How do we know that the God of peace gives you the peace of God? Well, I think that the answer is super simple. Because the God of peace wanted to give you the peace of God because in Jesus Christ we have peace with God. Listen up. Remember this phrase. God permits what he hates and accomplishes what he loves. Isn't that a description of the cross? Isn't that a description of how much God hated the cross? That is the wrath of God displayed. That is his son being, pure, being crucified. It is his son being rejected. It is his son experiencing shame. Why did God permit that? To accomplish what he loves. Your peace with him. That is the ultimate evidence. That the God of peace wants to give you his peace. Because in Jesus you have peace with God. Don't you wonder? You need that. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord, I want to pray that by the power of your spirit, you allow us to have today the peace of God that comes from the, path, from the God of peace, the one that sent his son so we could have peace with our Father. I pray, Lord, that you give us a sense of this peace that transcends all understanding and guards our hearts and our minds. Lord, we come to you as desperate people. We still continue to struggle with our joy and gentleness and fear. Please, Lord, allow us to have this peace that is both, both personal and turn us into people of peace. Please allow us to have this peace that is not circumstantial and is not bound to anything or anybody. Please allow us to sense and see and embrace the peace that you are. The God that is Emmanuel, God with us. Can you please do that to us? And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus, and we say...